This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Thanks for joining our conversation today. We are rounding the corner, heading toward the final stretch of our Go Home, Finding Our Way series. Each of these conversations have looked at common assumptions regarding the home and its proper place in our lives for both men and women, and even in relation to the church and the world. And Hannah, as we've gone along, one thing that's been really evident to me in the series, based on the excellent interaction we've had with all of our listeners out there, is that this notion of home is a very tender and personal one. It's it's very personal and meaningful based on what we've been hearing from everybody. Yeah, and not just what we've been hearing from other people. I've had that own my own experience of going through these topics has felt very personal, maybe not on air, but when I get off and I'm thinking about what we talked about and how it relates to my own current experience of home and what I long for in my home, I've found that I've been doing a lot of reflection uh, about where I am now, but where I want to be. But a curious thing that's also happened for me is I've also kind of looked back and I've thought a lot about um, maybe the dreams or ideals that I've carried into my life to this point. And that that made me really want to chase down the question um, and to ask you, Erin, did you have like dreams when you were growing up of what your home would be or, or what your life would look like in terms of marriage or um, you know, family? Oh, definitely. I mean, and of course it was completely idealized, but if, but I, I really did have that sense of like, oh, I'm going to have my own home and it's going to be with my husband. I assumed we'd have kids and it, it sort of embodied the sense of like wholeness and perfection and everything just right. And it was more like a soul wellness, like, but with it, all the other pieces, like everything just is in place and in, in perfect place. And what's interesting too, Hannah, is that I thought that by moving into my own home as an adult, that it would just magically be perfect and better. And um, I didn't grow up in a home where church and faith were a focal point. So then after I came to know Jesus and then started 
taking in Christian teaching, and a lot of that was on marriage and home, it felt very different from what I had experienced. And I at first thought, oh, this is the key to having the perfect home. This is going to be so great. Now that I know that Jesus is hearing and he's going to make my home life perfect, it's going to be wonderful. And then oddly enough, I got married. And that's not quite what happened. I was like, wait, I thought with Jesus here, the home was going to be perfect. And it, it wasn't. <laughs> it was a little disappointing. You know, it's so funny to hear you talk about having these dreams and even like envisioning marriage or what your home would be, even if you were disappointed by how little Jesus made your home perfect. What's um, <laughs> was, was tough for me, though, is I don't remember having those kinds of dreams. I would see other girls maybe playing home or playing house, or they would talk about who they're going to marry. And like, I just didn't even have those categories. That didn't mean I didn't have a dream for my future house and my future people, because I did have that dream. And I remember distinctly that my future in terms of family looked like this, okay? And I read too many books, so this is probably where this came from. But I was going to live in a lighthouse. That was going to be my my future home. And I was going to have a truck and a black lab. And I was going to run a home for orphaned boys. And we were going to have a kindly groundskeeper type who would be the father figure for them, like his grandfather figure. So it was really weird because I did have a vision of some type of family or home, but it didn't take the classic shape. And I think that reflects some of what we've been acknowledging in this series, that even though we've been perhaps handed this concept of the nuclear family as the definition of home, um, it can come in a lot of different shapes. It can take different forms depending on the relationships and, you know, the structures that are there. But for me, it meant living in the lighthouse, having a whole pack of young boys around me that I was guiding and nurturing and loving as their mother figure. What I love about this is that your dream is so detailed and so specific, just like how you are. And mine is so nebulous and foggy. And that's just how I am. So I feel like these dreams are very fitting. But what's also interesting is that neither one of us really achieved that ideal of what we thought it would be. And I would guess that most of our listeners, most of our friends would say the same thing, that they had some picture of what their ideal home and family would be like when they were establishing it. And very few of us are in that ideal. And that can be really jarring to you personally when you aren't able to see things lining up the way that you had hoped they would in terms of your family and those relationships at home. And for me, I think that initial progress of reconciling my dreams with my current reality was first surprise. Like I really did not expect to get married. And so there was a little bit of surprise there saying, oh, is this what's going to happen? And you kind of move into that and you adjust to that new reality and you kind of make sense of that. But then for me, it, it became, okay, I've readjusted my expectations and that's fine. But now I'm entering 
the, the space of disappointment. So, so I did marry or I did establish this type of home, but now even that isn't panning out the way I expected. You know, people aren't perfect. People fail you. They, we harm each other even within the space of our homes. And so then it became disappointment. And then a few years down the road, it became just full out kind of, oh, wait a minute, what am I even doing? And, and you begin to uncover in your own life levels of brokenness and um, pain even related to home that you didn't even know you were carrying into that. So you go from like expectations to disappointments to realizing the level at which you yourself don't even know how to function well in relationships because of what you've inherited maybe in terms of brokenness or um, just things that need to be healed. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, this is the case for all of us, right? We've all inherited um, all kinds of things from our families, good things, bad things, neutral things, but we all have patterns and cycles that we've experienced and taken in and they've become our own now. Um, We've gotten them from our biological family, from our childhood home. And those things have shaped us and it's coming right along with us, right into our own home. And so there's no way to just say, oh, I'm leaving one door and I'm entering another. And none of that that's in the previous space is going to follow me. Like all of that comes along with you. And I think all of us have to come face to face with that sort of brokenness that it's in us. It's not out there. It's in us. And we have to deal with the things that that cause us to have difficulty in our home life, in our relationships, how we function as a family collectively, and even as we function individually. So we all have to deal with that sort of um, baggage and the deficits that come from being a human. Yeah, and I think one of the signs of maturity as you move into your own life and you take greater ownership of even your home or your familial relationships is having that self-awareness to say, okay, I'm going to look back. I'm going to kind of interrogate and assess my experience, my categories, and I'm going to keep what was good. I'm going to be full and honor Um, the things that really were good and carry those forward in my home and in my relationships. But I'm also going to assess those things that weren't good. And I'm going to find the courage to to look at those spaces, um, acknowledge them and and be able to um, heal and to find healing so that we end up replicating um, those things relationships within our home, whether it's with our spouse or whether um, it's even with just the people that are close to us in our church home so that we're not passing along those ways of being in the world that are not healthy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those things sort of add up over time, like they build up. And I came to a point in my life where I could see the clutter, the emotional clutter around me, and I realized I don't know how to sort this out. I don't know how to 
stop doing some of these things that I'm doing or or think differently than how I am thinking. And no measure of memorizing scripture was undoing some of that. I really needed to get some additional counsel and help on that. So um, so I've had some therapy. That's been a huge help. Mike and I have read books and talked things out, had hard conversations. Those are not fun, but always helpful. And I think that that's really what it takes is this um, basically facing it and looking at what you have and then trying to sort some of that stuff out um, together as a family. And it's so hard, but then so worth it. Um but I also think we need to say that this is something everyone has to do in this kind of space of idolizing and idealizing the family and home. We can um, begin to believe that if we become aware of our spaces that need healing or the spaces where we've inherited dysfunction, that that is uniquely our problem. We have done something wrong or that we are unlike everyone else and everyone else's family and relationships are just fine. Mm -hmm. We somehow are in a deficit. The only ones, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That's that's very true. Well, as we've been um, sorting through this installment of our Go Home series, um, I was able to have a conversation with Andi Kolber. Andi is a licensed uh, counselor and therapist. She's in Colorado, and she has um, done plenty of work in this space and, and trying to help people sort through the, the trauma, the baggage, the things that are um, cluttering their space and holding them back and uh, I was able to talk with her a little bit and ask her some some of these deep questions for how we might move forward well Andi as we've been talking about this this topic this series of home life and family and church we've talked a bit about um, how these are can be seen as either separate spheres or slightly overlap overlapping spheres or actually something that should be more integrated and one and the same. And so, mm -hmm. so even as you are discussing um, how we are operating in all of these different facets, I feel like you're going to bring some good perspective here because mm -hmm. many of us are, we have arrived to adulthood wanting to build a home that's conducive to familial flourishing. We want everyone in our mm. home to do well, but we're kind of strapped with baggage from our family of origin. And so we wanted to ask you, what can we do to um, break some of those negative generational cycles and patterns? And then how do we institute mm. the new ones? If we're going to have a home that is a place of love and safety and where the kingdom can flourish, how do we move forward in that? Could you have some yeah. insight for us there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think this is a really important question. And just like you're saying, all of these things are absolutely linked. Um, and I think we have forgotten that to our detriment in our culture, it, that we think that it's possible to be totally um, one thing in one space and a completely different thing in another. Um, you know, I think God really made us to be whole and integrated people. And, and that is, you know, such an important um, element as we think about this idea that you're talking about of 
you know, what does it look like to really, you know, sometimes I say, how do we, um, we want to honor our wounds, but we don't want to live from our wounds. And, and so I think sometimes, you know, that's what we could maybe sometimes call baggage is, is really what our wounds are. And, you know, I would even want to just first start by saying, um, I think a lot of people, you know, I, I, with your listeners, this folks may fall across the spectrum. Um, a lot of times when I first start working with folks in counseling, um, I find that they don't have much compassion for their wounds. Um, I find that they, there is something within them that thinks, well, if I was just better, if I was just, um, you know, who God said I should be, if I was in the right place at the right time, if I learned more, if I had more knowledge, whatever that is, um, then I wouldn't have these wounds or these wounds wouldn't be affecting me. And, and so one of the ideas that is really strong for me that I actually just um, wrote about quite a bit in, this, in my book, Try Softer, is the idea of cultivating compassionate attention for ourselves, for our stories. And I really believe um, with as much as my heart as I possibly can, that this is what God has for us, that God has compassionate attention towards us. And that really, this is our calling to cultivate for ourselves too. That if God is compassionate to us, um, we are invited to steward that towards ourselves. And I love the way this integrates with Jesus's calling to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because neurobiologically, what we've come to understand is the extent to which we are connected to ourselves and our experiences and, and just attuned to what's going on is the extent to which we can attune and empathize with others. So when you think about a home, and, you know, so I'm a mom, um, but it doesn't always have to be with our kids. Obviously, it's just folks that we're close to and that we're creating safety with and connection with. Um, those are our neighbors, right? And that, that this is the message that as we honor our baggage, our stories, the way that we have come to exist in the world, we are better equipped and better prepared to do the deeper work of not shaming others, of inviting into belonging and connection, um, you know, those folks who might feel um, like they're on the outside. And, you know, I think especially for me as a mother, um, doing this work of writing Trisofter and learning about um, the developmental aspects of trauma and attachment trauma and things like that, I have been so moved and encouraged to continue in my own work because what we what we know is that caregivers who do their own work are really able to offer their kiddos and those around them a better chance at experiencing really secure attachment and you know when you talk about flourishing um, this type of attachment which we could call secure attachment um, it's just really connected to this feeling of being safe and known and not that things are perfect, but that we have this sense that we matter and other people matter and, and that we are sort of able to, um, you know, live from that place. And so I think this work, this idea of really learning to pay compassionate attention to ourselves is a really big step.
This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. You know, Aaron, I couldn't help but be caught by Andy's framing of giving attention to our own healing as the means by which we would be able to love our neighbors well. Mm-hmm. The reason that kind of triggers for me is because one of the things we keep coming back to in our understanding of home and family is that these people around us in our orbit, right? we talked about a concept, mm-hmm. these are the people God has given to us as our closest neighbors. These are the people who are most affected by our brokenness, but they are also the people most affected in our healing. And so own healing can become a source of life and health and peace for our neighbors um, as we pursue it. So beautiful, this idea that as we give attention and are compassionate toward ourselves, then that enables us to have that compassion and attention toward other people. And instead of it being a sense of, hey, you broken people, you stay over there because you're messing up my life. It's more like, oh, we're all broken together. And together we can move forward and find greater healing and forgiveness and walk that out. That picture, I I so appreciated and I found it to be so hopeful and life-giving. And it it felt more of a... um, I don't know, almost like a rally, like, hey, let's all be on on this this vision and on this path together. And that sense of community is what's really going to move it forward. And I think it helps us redefine our goals, right? I think it helps us understand that despite all of this large scale philosophy about the family and all the things we've talked about, we are people in process. Mm-hmm. And our families are in process and the people we love are in process and, and we as individuals are in process. And so the goal no longer is this kind of perfect family. The mm-hmm. is goodness and the goal is moving towards good things with our families, with the people we love. And I, I think that helps us avoid this sense of legalism or even disappointment when we do struggle in our homes and in our relationships, because it's not that these things won't be without struggle. It's more that we are moving in a certain direction together, that we yeah, yeah. toward goodness together. And we're 
spurring each other on in that direction. And we, when one of us is weak or struggling, the other people are there to help and support um, each other. I love that because I, I think what's so um, challenging is that we have this picture of the perfect family or just perfect people, us being perfect Christians. And I think we can become so focused on being that perfect Christian family, like the poster family for for Jesus or something, that we can alienate everyone else who is in touch with their brokenness and they can't even relate to whatever this this picture is that we're trying to project that when Jesus comes in, everything is perfect, just like what I had thought back in the day. And that's just not the case. And when we think about how Jesus came to identify with us in our brokenness, that means we don't have to pretend to be perfect. And and that way, we're much more able to relate to other people and other people can relate to us and we can be pointing back to Jesus. He is the one who is perfect. We are not. And the goal isn't to create this facade of perfection, but it is to move toward Jesus, who is the goal. And I feel like that alleviates so much of that pressure. Like you mentioned, the legalism side or giving it up. It's like, yeah, because we can't meet that ideal. Like there's no way to get there. And you know, Andy was sharing something very similar. Well, I appreciate that um, recognition that we're all kind of landing in this space where we aren't going to be perfect, our family members aren't going to be perfect, so none of us have this perfect scenario to build um, a life-giving home. Um, We all are going to experience varying levels of unrest or dysfunction, and then it's dealing with that and, and trying to establish a home that does provide or is conducive to flourishing. Um, I know that's kind of the the aim. I mean, none of us are looking to um, have a home where we are perpetuating these sorts of problems. Um, so I guess as we're um, moving toward the end of our conversation, I, I would love just to hear anything that you would have to share, like best tips or advice for how can we do the best we can in these less than perfect circumstances to create a home where our loved ones can flourish personally and also where our homes can be this um, place where God's kingdom is, um, is pouring out to people in ways that that build up the kingdom, that bring God glory. What is it that you can tell us in in regard to what you've seen and, and what you can advise us on? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, because there's, again, like so many yes. of these things, there's so <laughs> many thoughts here. But I think the thing that really stands out for me is that when we have homes and families that prioritize presence and connection over performance and achievement and rigidity. This is the type of home in which people feel safe. And when people feel safe, they flourish because safety is at the core of all our psychological needs. And I think in our, in our present day, Safety sometimes gets um, 
it gets misconstrued like, oh, you just want to be safe. Like you're not taking risks. You just want to be safe. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think there's a time and place for us to be risk takers. Mm -hmm. But here's what's so interesting about that dynamic is that we can't be brave unless we have spaces to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And do you know where we need to feel safe? At home. Mm -hmm. At home. That's, that's like, and, and that again, you know, that can be a word that encompasses a lot of things. Like maybe it's not your family of origin home. Maybe it's a, it's a home that you create in your adulthood that begins to represent, maybe it's not flesh and blood family. Although I pray that that is something that you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's folks who have shown you through a pattern of behavior that they are safe. Not perfect, but safe. You know, I just love that, what Andi shared, because I think it brings us full circle again as we've talked in previous episodes about our home being a place not just of our own flourishing and safety, but of other people to be invited into the goodness of safety and flourishing. And I really appreciated that distinction she made too um, about safety not being just an aversion to risk, but flourishing and goodness. And it, it just really inspires me that the work we're doing with the people God has given us is not just for our flourishing. It's not just for it is like a beacon. It's like a lighthouse, Erin. Oh, it is. Oh, this is so great, Hannah. It is true, though, because I was thinking the same thing that we've we hear so much these days about being brave and being courageous, and yet it's not a sense of like throwing all safety off and and running headlong into danger. It's the sense of when you are grounded and have a place of safety and you feel confident in that, then you are able to draw more people into that safety. And it's almost like you're creating a bigger space, like your your boundaries are expanding because you know where you feel grounded, you know where you are in terms of your relationships. And there's something about that safety and knowing that people are with you and love you that allows you to grow. And so I so appreciated that too, Hannah. I thought it was so good. And um, I know our our listeners are going to appreciate all that Andy has to say. I'll make sure I get all of her um, contact info in the show notes and a link off to her book that is um, just recently has come out so that people can catch up with Andy a little bit more. And I like to think in our own way, Erin, that we're creating a space of hospitality and safety, even on this podcast. This is not... Oh, I hope so. Yes. You know, it's not a family per se, but I do feel like what we're attempting to do is to create space for thought and reflection and questions and processing. Um, and we love it when you all come join us in this process. Um, whether you want to catch us on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC or in the members forum, we really want um, this conversation to be helpful to you, not just as you listen, um, but within the community of others that you can process these ideas 
Um, and of course, if you're not a member of the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, um, you can become a member for just $5 a month and support these kinds of conversations, um, as well as all the other work that's happening in the community. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He's the producer for Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can give the shows a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com. Or you can go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture, and then all of those shows will pop up for you right there. We do appreciate that you come and listen to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes, and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu slash hdl.